Um, a question that we're going to need to wrestle with to some extent in this series, and I'm not going to go into it in depth tonight, I hope maybe you get there in small groups tonight, is this sort of deeper philosophical question too, and maybe you're like, this is way too deep for you, but I want you guys to wrestle with what is good? How, how do you know what goodness is? What if what I say is good? What if Christian Bukowski says, I think you're good, what you think is good is not good? I think what you think is good is evil, or stupid at least. Um, how do we know what good is? And so that's a fully, that is very much a, a philosophical question or debate, but in, 20, in the 21st century, as some of you prepare to go off to college this fall or in the coming years, man, I think we sort of need to wrestle with some of these deeper questions of goodness, and you may be, you may get that brought up, especially if it's, it's known that you're a Christian, depending on where you go to school. But we'll get back to that um, later on, or maybe in your small groups tonight, or maybe later in this series. I want you to grab a Bible, if you have a Bible. If you don't grab one, you can grab one right now from the two carts right here, or you can open up your app, because you all maybe have the app, but I prefer the paper version, because um, it's physical, and you're not distracted by your Instagram, whatever, feed. Is there a feed on Instagram? Nice. I was like, is that just Twitter feed? I need to get in the real world. Yeah, okay. I, I'm not on Instagram. Open it up to the book of Titus. Very, very short book, um, just two pages in my Bible. I knew we needed to pick a short book of the Bible because we only have four weeks left. And so um, it's after First and Second Timothy, before Hebrews. So you may even need the table of contents to, to find this book, but you can open up and leave it there. Um, basically tonight, um, I want to give you a little bit of the 30,000 foot view of this book. Um, we didn't exactly break it down with um, every, there's only three chapters, and so we're not even, we're not tackling a full chapter every week. So tonight we're just doing the introduction to this book, but um, it's important for us to understand the context, right? With book study, any book you're ever studying, um, you should know the context it's in, like what's the background, who wrote it, and when, and um, all of that. So in order to do that, the first thing that I want to mention that I talk about a lot is we need to realize how the entire Bible fits together. And I'm just going to spend 30 seconds on this, but how does Titus fit into the storyline of the entire Bible? Um, and so, as I've said before, I think it's important to say that the Bible is one cohesive narrative with Jesus and his cross at the center. So, here's a picture that I actually drew this morning on paint, so the arrows are horrible. Um, but I think this, this helps it a little bit. When I think about the Bible, and I want you guys to think about the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's important that we recognize how this, the cross is really central and that the whole Old Testament is sort of pointing forward to the cross. I mean, so over and over, you read Isaiah, you read a lot of the prophets, um, there's sort of this longing for a Messiah. I mean, really, uh, all the way back to Genesis 3, there's sort of this, like, we need a Savior. We need a Messiah. Moses came along, which is why the Jews, like, Moses, their guy, he brought the law. And they thought, if we just obey the law. But the whole Old Testament is, like, how do you justify the Israelite people screwing up all the time? Um, how do you justify a sinful Israel pe Israelite people, a sinful people of God, in the holiness of God? And God is holy, and he demands holiness. And so I've said before, the whole Old Testament is sort of building this tension and the tension just doesn't get resolved until the New Testament. It just really doesn't get resolved until it comes. And so the whole New Testament, or I guess, as I was thinking about this earlier, at least the Gospels on, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, after the death 
and resurrection of Jesus, the whole New Testament is sort of pointing back. And so the New Testament is more um, the application of the gospel, how the gospel um, affects our lives and our daily workings. You know, most of it was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Peter has some epistles, James, but it's, it's sort of the implications of the gospel. But maybe that's a helpful illustration for you. I think it's important we're in Titus. We're in the New Testament. Where does that put us? We're sort of fleshing out the implications of the gospel and how that affects our lives and what it means for our lives. Um, if you've ever heard me talk about this being a gospel-centered ministry, and maybe I haven't said that a whole lot, but what it means is that Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection is central. It doesn't mean we want to diminish the Father and the Spirit. It doesn't mean Jesus or the Father and the Spirit are in the Son. But when I look at the writings and Paul says, man, we, we um, how does he word it? We basically thought it fit to not preach anything but Christ and him crucified. Man, the cross is absolutely central to the Bible. That in the New Testament, they say, if Jesus had not come and died in our place for our sins, our faith is, is futile. It's worthless. It's this doesn't matter anymore. And so over and over again, the, the cross, the life death of Jesus is at the heart and soul of the entire biblical narrative. So um, that's where Titus fits. And so Titus is concerned with how do we live in light of the events of the gospel? How do we live in light of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus? So where we're going to go tonight, let's imagine that you're a scholarly researcher writing um, a report or writing a paper or doing a story on um, this ancient document called the book of Titus. Have you ever taken a journalism class? When I th was thinking of this, I actually thought of Cameron Model because tonight, basically, I remember uh, two months ago, Cameron taught for the Student Takeover series, and she said when you're studying a book of the Bible, you got to do the five W's. Um, that's a great place to start. And again, maybe you go, I'm just sort of familiar with the book of Ephesians or the book of Galatians or whatever, and so some of this, or I don't care when it's written, but this is helpful for us. So we're going to ask those five questions tonight. Who, what, where, when, and why. All right? So who? Who wrote it? And to whom is it written? I probably already said this, but the author is the Apostle Paul, who also wrote maybe about half of the New Testament. Um, many of you know this, but Paul was raised a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was very, very strict in his Phariseeism. Um, if you want to call it that, and uh, his, his original name was Saul, but he went around um, persecuting Christians. He wanted to see Christians arrested and ideally killed. He wanted to snuff out this movement called the Way, that they called it in the New Testament. And so even as early as the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, when the first century church, like Jesus has um, ascended into heaven, he's risen from the dead, he's gone, the church is like getting together. The apostles start meeting. More and more people are added to the church. And Paul, probably even in Acts 4 or 5, a part of the persecution of the apostles and of Christians everywhere. And so um, Acts chapter 9 comes along. It's not until Acts 9, and Paul is going to Damascus to arrest and kill Christians. He had letters to do that. Um, he, was, he was zealous to do that. He wanted to see them killed. Um, Acts 8 chapter 1 says Saul approved of the death of Stephen. I think Stephen just got stoned. And so that's what he was doing. And he has this, this radical encounter with the Lord. He's blinded. Like Jesus appears to him, talks to him, says, why are you persecuting me? And um, he's just radically changed. Acts chapter 9. And he goes on to write about half of the New Testament. It's absolutely incredible testimony. But so Paul's writing this, um, and he's writing it to Titus, his mentor, or his mentee rather, his protege, 
his disciple. Titus was a younger pastor. Paul was his mentor. Now what? what? Is this a book? We always call these books of the Bible, right? Again, many of you know this. This was a letter. Titus is a letter, and Paul wrote it as a letter. It's what we call in New Testament studies an epistle. An epistle uh, is maybe a weird word, and you're like, you get that, an apostle confused, but it's just another word for letter. And yet it's more than a letter because Paul was writing this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so it's at a certain point, they go, this is scripture because Paul was an apostle. I'll get back to that in a second. But so he's, he's conveying important biblical truths in this letter. But he was just writing a letter. When was the last time you received a letter? Grandma, Kale, what, yesterday? Oh, nice. Right, but it was typed up, you know? Like, you get letters in the mail. Um, anybody get a letter from your grandma or grandpa? Like, every once in a while on your birthday? For most of us, grandma and grandpa don't usually text, right? Probably don't care. Your grandma's on Facebook, probably, because everyone's on Facebook. And maybe if you have a younger grandma, your grandma's probably not on Instagram, like me. It means I'm getting old. But maybe my grandma likes to write notes still. So every year on my birthday, sense of permanence about a letter, right? Maybe if you get a letter from your grandma, you keep it. And you wouldn't dare throw that away because it just means something to you. This was... A letter. And so it, it stuck around, and Paul wrote these things down. It was a letter to Titus, who was a young pastor, like I said, um, instruction on how to lead this church. And so we'll get to that. So when, um, when, when was this book written? About 64 to 65 AD is our best. First century, the year 64, 65 AD. This was after all the events recorded in the book of Acts. So what happened, we don't find this in Acts, but um, Paul must have been with Titus, and they put a church in Crete. We'll get back to Crete. That's where they were. But they planted it, and Paul like left Titus there to sort of oversee the church. Um, this is after all the life, death, and, and resurrection of Jesus. It's after the event, events of Acts. It's about five years before Paul is killed. Um, we're not sure if Paul knew that his life was drawing to, a, to an end. He was killed by the Roman emperor Nero about five years after this. Um, but that's when. Finally, we don't know where Paul was when he sat down to pen this letter to Titus. We don't know. Um, as I said, Titus was on this island called Crete, which is in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. If, you don't, if you're not up on your world, you can't see that very well. But south of Greece, um, Jerusalem, Israel is sort of down in the lower right corner. You see Alexandria there at the very bottom. Um, Egypt is right around in that area. And so you have Greece, off to the left, you have Italy and Rome. But so Paul sort of went all around this Mediterranean rim planting churches. If you can see just below where Greece is, um, is where the city of Corinth was. Paul planted a church, a church in Corinth. And just across the sea from where Corinth was, um, was Ephesus. Um, so he went all around, he was planting churches. Paul was a church planter. He was an apostle. Um, which we'll get to what that means. but um, So he's on this island. Crete was the home of the early Minoan civilization. Have any of you ever heard of the Minoans? There's like, they dated all the way back, I think, to some of the earliest writings of the Egyptians. If you need to write uh, a paper for world geography, world history or something, you should look up the Minoans. But they um, came from the island of Crete. And a lot of the European settlers came from the island of Crete, came from, from the Minoans. Um, and then finally, why? Why was this written? Well, we'll find out why Paul wrote this letter to Titus as we dive into the series. But Paul is basically writing to encourage 
Titus um, to give him some instructions on how to lead the church, or maybe churches in Crete. Um, Titus is one of the three books or the three letters of the Bible referred to as the pastoral epistles. And you're like, why does that matter? Well, it just meant there were letters written to pastors. Titus was a pastor. The other two were first and second Timothy. Timothy was a pastor. And so one of the interesting things about this letter is we're seeing a glimpse into what the church was supposed to look like. What, what is church supposed to be about? What are Christians supposed to be about? And so in all of these epistles from Paul, it's really, um, we see Paul, a church planter, sending a pastor, um, Titus, the instructions, just a letter on what the church is supposed to be about. So um, what's well, a glimpse into the theme of Titus? Now, I already said that at the beginning, um, the good life, but let's see why here. So I'm going to throw five verses up. I think these are on the screens. Titus 2, verse 7 says this, this is the theme, in everything set example by doing what is good. Titus 2 verse 14, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. Titus 3 verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Uh, Titus 1 verse 8, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And finally, Titus 3 verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for the urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Good deeds, good works, the good life. Paul is laying out for us a vision of the good life. Um, now, here's the thing. Whatever you think of as the good life is what you're going to give yourself to, just in life in general. If you think prosperity is the good life, if you think having money good life, if you think being popular is the good life, whatever your vision of the good life is, that is what you're going to do. You're going to bend over backwards to get that thing relationship maybe with somebody, whatever it is, chase that thing. And so, so often we talk about goodness. And again, this isn't goodness to sort of earn your salvation. This isn't a response to that. But some of us, I feel like in high school, sort of go, wah, wah. Like, goodness just isn't cool. And my parents want me to be good. And I'm sort of tired of being told to be good. But I'm telling you, whatever else you chase, that's what your vision of the good life is. And you're probably going to find either it satisfies or it doesn't satisfy. And again, there's, I know there's so much trial and error in high school where you just go, I'm sorry, I'm just curious. But I'm telling you, Paul says, man, Titus, if you could figure this out, this is the good life. So I don't have a whole lot of time left, um, but in these nine minutes or so, we're in, and I just have a couple comments. So four verses, check this out. I'm teaching on four verses tonight. Titus 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle, of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light through the preaching entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. So back to verse 1 real quick. Paul, it says, here's his title. Who's Paul? Paul says, I'm a servant. Literally, it's like I'm a slave of God. 
I'm a slave. I'm a slave to God, and God gives me freedom and has freed me from sin, and so I'm a servant of God. But he's an apostle. We talked about this. What is an apostle? The word apostle just means sent or sent one, but it's used two different ways in the New Testament. The first way is, is uh, sort of the less way, um, but it's referring to sort of pioneer church planters. And so most of the apostles, they were planting churches, but Barnabas, for example, is called an apostle in Acts 14, 14. So the first way it's used is as they're just church planters, pioneers, first church planters, apostles. But number two, the second way it's used, the more significant, the more prominent way this word is used is to refer to people who were witnesses to Jesus, who had been with Jesus. So we're talking the, four, or the, the 12 disciples were apostles. Why? Because they had been with Jesus. So they were witnesses to Jesus and whose testimony is the foundation of the church. So Judas hung himself, right, after he betrayed Jesus, replaced by Matthias in chapter, uh, Acts chapter 1. So the 12 disciples, Messiah, Matthias, and Paul were the apostles. They had been with Jesus. Paul was not one of the original 12, but he had this radical encounter with Jesus. He, Jesus appeared to him. And, um, and so, again, they were planting churches, but they were also like the bedrock. They had been with Jesus. So here's the problem. The implications of Paul's apostleship are this. First of all, he was concerned with succession. So Paul knows, like, I may not be living very long. If you read the book of Acts, you see that he's, like, trying to get to Rome. He wants to, like, he wants to get before Caesar, um, sort of to vindicate himself, but also to probably preach the gospel to uh, Caesar. But in the meantime, he's going on these missionary journeys. He's writing a lot of letters. Um, think about our own church, succession planning. 1983, I think it was, Pastor Steve, Steve Moltemeyer, started this church. Wasn't in this room. This room came in 1983 that we're in, but this was the original like sanctuary. It's filled with pews. I've said before, there was doors right there, and there was doors right there, even when I came to Brookside in 2001. But this is 1983, and then 1989, they get a building. Five years, Pastor Steve is like the pastor of this church. And then he's like, eventually, 35 years, whatever, retirement age, or I'm just, I'm, I'm moving on. So succession planning, finds Jeff Dart. Jeff had been here since 2001. And so just this last year, right, Jeff Dart in, on January 1st took over as lead pastor. But it's important. Steve wanted, it, leadership is crucial to a church, right? So he wanted a really good leader and found that in Pastor Jeff. So the apostles' testimony about Jesus couldn't just be replaced by other people who they like told the message to, right? Have you ever played that game, it's called Telephone, Telephone, or just Telephone, but when you're kids, you just said, you say it's just a sentence, and by the end, though, it's like horribly butchered and just way wrong. So what if the apostles, it was all just verbal? Um, they had been with Jesus. This is what Jesus did. These are some of the miracles. This is what we encountered. And eventually, it just becomes like, that must have just been legend or who knows. So what do the apostles do? They know they need godly leaders who will take over the care of churches, but they didn't want to just verbally tell it to the next generation, people who had not been with and so they wrote down their testimony. They wrote things down. They wrote down what they experienced. All four of the uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are just accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus. So they wrote it down, and the apostles' testimony became Scripture. Like, it became the New Testament. And that's one of the main things. Why, why do we have the New Testament? How do we get the New Testament? It's because the apostles wrote it. And they had been with Jesus. And there were eyewitnesses. You read the beginning of Luke, it says, I, um, you know, Theophilus, I wanted to write to you 
um, how's he worded? But with an eyewitness account of all that I've seen and experienced. And so he mentions names throughout the whole New Testament. When they mention names, Hymenaeus Ander, whoever, they go, you can go find them and you can ask them uh, about this, whatever, this account that's in the Bible. Because at the time when people read this, the apostles were giving names of people that were still alive. But so they wrote down their testimony. And so um, the pastor, the the, the the apostles were concerned about passing on, um, sort of passing the baton to other leaders of these churches. Um, and see, Paul had a good idea. He was going to be killed soon. I flip one page back, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he five years later. Like, Paul knew his time was coming. And so he wants to pass it on to Titus. Um, why was Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ? Why? He says two reasons. To further the faith of God's elect. Now, you want to go there in small groups? I would love, I was like, we could talk about, what does that phrase mean, God's elect? Talk about it in small groups tonight. Or don't, if your leader doesn't want to go there. But that's a helpful term that's in the New Testament. What does that mean, God's elect? to further their faith and their knowledge of the truths to godliness. Again, we're not really sure if there's two things to godliness here, faith and knowledge, or if there is this certain truth that leads to godliness. But in general, truth and godliness are connected. Truth leads to godliness. Godliness requires truth. What is godliness? I would say godliness is right belief that expresses itself through right behavior. Godliness is not just head knowledge, right? It's not just knowing the right things. It's not just knowing stuff about the Bible. You and I, all probable people who are biblical experts and who know everything about the Bible, but maybe their characters just rotten, maybe. They're jerks, sort of. They, they know a lot of stuff, but it hasn't affected their heart because the kind of person they are is just not, that's not right. So what's godliness? Think of the most godly person you know. It's not just right belief, it's right behavior. Or you might say it's, it's gospel belief that expresses itself in gospel behavior. It's not just head knowledge. But what's Paul's goal here? Godliness. In the hope of eternal life. You know how you know about eternal life? Paul says in this because it was preached. It has been, now at his appointed season, has been brought to light through preaching. You know about eternal life because your parents told you about eternal life, I think, most of you in this room. Maybe not all of you. Maybe you go, I've never really even thought about eternal life, or my parents certainly didn't talk about it. But for most of you, their parents told them, and your parents told you. But at some point, there was a beginning. Somebody heard somehow, whether it was at a church or not, they heard about eternal life through Jesus Christ, that Jesus offers us, it's not just death and then that's the end. But eternal life is significant, right? And we all know that. Now, the, the point of Christianity is not just having life forever. You can want God's thing, not want God. So the two are very, very closely conjoined, eternal life and God. So let's not forget that. But that's the point. So why is Paul writing this letter um, to Titus, but also to us, to lead us to the good life? Main point. It's maybe not great, but it's this. Paul wants to encourage us toward good and godly lives. Paul wants to encourage us toward good and godly lives. That's it. As a result of the God, it's the good life, though. You're going to give your life to something. 
Many of us are going to grow up and we're going to go, life is primarily about making money, or it's primarily about having stuff, or who knows, but it might be life is primarily about obeying and honoring God, because I want to give my life to the things of God, whether that's as a doctor, or as a mechanic, or as a lawyer, or as an engineer, or whatever, I want to give glory to God somehow. And so, so you're going to give your life to something. I shouldn't be bad, like, you need to make money, right? We live in America. If you want a house, you got to pay for the house. you got to have stuff. So I'm not getting down on money, but what are you going to give your life to? So this is nothing too crazy. Life seems so complex, and yet Paul just says it's pretty simple. And so we're going to dive into the rest of this book um, next week. In small groups tonight, I want you to wrestle with goodness. How do you know what goodness is? We all have this sense that if I, like, write whatever, a letter, you'd say that's a good letter B, or that's, you know, that's, that's a, that is not a very good letter B. I could draw a shape, and I could go, is this a triangle? Well, that's not a very good triangle. Well, where do we get that concept of goodness? How do you know what goodness is? And again, what if somebody else says what you think is good, I think is wrong, or I think is stupid, frankly, or something? What is goodness objective or subjective? I'm going to put it like that. So let's pray. Hey, next week, we want to try something different.